Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, Tanuja Randery, Managing Director, AWS Europe, Middle East and Africa, is joined by Unipart CEO John Neal to discuss how he develops a workplace culture that focuses on operational excellence and customer engagement. Hello, this is Tanuja Randery, Managing Director, Europe, Middle East and Africa for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I will be speaking with CEOs from across the EMEA region about what it takes to transform business and society, how they are leveraging data and technology to accelerate growth and innovate, and their insights on topics such as sustainability and addressing the digital skills gap. We will also be providing a glimpse into the personalities behind some of our great leaders of industry. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by John Neal. Dr. John Neal began his career in General Motors and then joined British Leyland, where he was responsible for building the Unipart brand into one of Britain's best known, most trusted brands. In 1987, John led the management buyout of the company, transforming it from its origins into a global manufacturing, logistics, and consulting business, while at the same time building the Unipart Way ecosystem, now widely used throughout the company and amongst its clients. John has continued to lead the business as executive chairman. He is also formerly a member of the Board of Business in the Community, a director of the Bank of England, and a non-exec director of many institutions like the Royal Mail, Charter International PLC, and Rolls-Royce. John is also an executive board member of the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Trader and vice president of the Institute of the Motor Industry and vice president of Ben. He was educated at George Harriet School in Edinburgh and the University of Strathclyde, where he gained a Bachelor of Arts degree and then a Master's degree in Business Administration. John also holds the honorary degree of Doctor of the University by Strathclyde. He has also been awarded honorary doctorates from Oxford Brooks, Middlesex, De Montfort, and Coventry. John, thank you for making the time today. Delighted to have you joining our podcast today. Great to have the opportunity of joining you, Tanusha. I'm looking forward to it. We are living in some very interesting times, and it has been quite a challenging two years for the world. Obviously, Unipart, with everything that you do globally, from a logistics and manufacturing perspective, there were implications and impact on the business. And I'd love to understand how you set the business up for success through the cycle and what the impact has been as a result of some of the changes that you took. Well, look, I mean, COVID affected everybody in the world. So we had to completely rethink how we were going to run the business for quite an extended period. And the key is to send very simple messages to people when you're going to radically change the priorities. We met every day at eight o'clock in the morning with all the key decision makers, and we made whatever decisions we needed to make. But they were based on three headings. The first one was protect our people which meant we had to learn an awful lot about how COVID worked, how it was spread and so on, and take the necessary actions to keep our people safe. The second one was protect the processes. Because if you think about it, if critical people are not available and you can't run your processes, you can't run the payroll and you can't run the billing system. So how do we make sure that we can run our processes? And then we need our customers to be taken care of. So protect the flow of products and services to our customers. And those were the priorities. And I had video meetings with our people. We, we did video conferences. We use our own internal news video called Grapevine, which we've been running for decades. 
to right. talk to people about the issues and what they need to watch out for and what the company was doing. So continuous communication was really critical, backwards and forwards. And our digital team came up with what they called the COVID S, which was an S-shaped device, which allowed employees in the company every morning and any point in the day to express their concerns about a, a choice of all of the issues that might be affecting them, like, you know, too close proximity to each other or not sufficient cleaning down of equipment or whatever it was. We were seeing in real time what our people were worried about, and we were able to take countermeasures. And of course, we ended up in a very good position at the end of that first year where our people had been kept as safe as possible. Our customers were absolutely delighted with the way in which our colleagues responded quickly to their changing demands and requirements. And I could give you lots of examples where the culture of the company meant that people could respond really quickly to very different customer requirements from a bottom-up process rather than from top-down. There was too much complexity to lead it all from the top. You had to create the themes, the strategy, the key messaging, and then enable people to work as teams to reorganize their processes or reorganize what they were doing to meet the needs of their customer. I'll give you one example, which sort of brings it to life. One of our customers is Waterstones. The way that business works is we pick large roll cages, fill them up with books, and send them to a limited number of stores. Overnight, uh-huh. all uh-huh. the stores closed. And we had to completely reorganize the process to pick thousands of individual books for tens of thousands of customers. And that was all done by the team reorganizing their processes using the Unipart Way tools and techniques. So the culture was such a critical part of our ability to respond to all of the things that were happening that we couldn't foresee and could never have planned for. That's amazing, John, because there's so many themes there to unpack. I'd love to pick up on the point of culture and the Unipart way, if I may. One of the things that I often hear is it's not so much technology that is the issue in terms of helping businesses transform. And as you think about today, you know, in fact, a lot of what hasn't yet transformed is key business workloads. What gets in the way typically is a lack of skills, culture of innovation, the mindset, the operating model, and the tools of empowerment for talent to work. And it sounds like you have defined an approach that sets you apart. And I know you call it the Unipart way. How did it come about and what has been the impact of putting that in place? When we led the buyout of Unipart back in 1987, I was determined to turn Unipart into the world's best company. And that wasn't a slogan. It was a genuine desire to do that. Because I did a lot of research and there was an interesting article in Harvard Business Review that said, the best companies in the world focus on three things. Customer intimacy, or what we now call customer engagement, operational excellence, and innovation. And what this article showed was that actually, if you're very good, you can probably succeed at only one, to be truly exceptional. You may be able to succeed at two, but you can't do three. And I think that's true. That doesn't mean you can't do them, but you can't be exceptional at Uh them. Uh And so we decided that we would try and be exceptional at operational excellence and at customer intimacy, customer engagement, because the two are mutually um, supportive. Uh So the question was how to do it. And the answer is you need to build a world-class body of knowledge that drives continuous improvement in the organization. So 
wherever you go in Unipart, everybody uses the Unipart way. They use the appropriate tools and techniques for the needs of their business. We have very low levels of disengagement and very high levels of engagement. So you've got that, then you're going to look after your customers. Absolutely, because these are so intertwined, right? I mean, John, that's a phenomenal story, actually. And I do want to pick up on the thing you mentioned, which is there are, you said, 1% of companies, right, that have shown sustained continuous improvement. And there's something in what you said about, you know, this focus on scaling and building something that's foundationally fantastic and then continuously improving on top and innovating so that you're not stuck in the old world at any time, but you have a base that you're building off. What do you think were the two or three very specific contributors to the Unipod way finding itself also into the employee engagement scores that you're seeing? What role has technology and digital solutions played in the transformation and growth of the group? If you think across everything that you've been doing, where have you seen it add real value and actually help you with this continued sustained improvement philosophy and execution. So we set up a separate digital team, hired a super smart chief digital officer and said, right now we've got to build the technologies that are relevant. And he said, look, the first thing I want to do is do something that will touch the lives of every single employee. Mm. So they experience digital making their lives better. He said, well, in the Unipart way, everybody attends a communication cell in every business unit every day. And they are all structured the same. And the data's different, but the framework's the same. He said, I'm going to digitize it. So he built it. He built the system himself. It's deployed everywhere in the world. But what's more interesting is that it changes the way you manage from managing in an analog world to managing in a digital world. So if I wanted to go and see an operation in the Gulf or the US or in Saudi or wherever our operations are in Japan or China, I would have to physically go there and watch other people were interacting and understand not only the performance metrics, but the cultural involvement. I can do that now from my iPhone, my iPad, or my PC. And I can instantly go to any comm cell anywhere in the world, join it, coach people, make connections, manage in a digital world as opposed to an analog world. And I don't know any other company that's done that. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. Given what you do in terms of manufacturing, where else have you seen technology play a role for you, whether it's time to market on products, whether it's improving efficiency of the plants and the manufacturing process. Could you share a couple other examples of how you've really leveraged this to deliver faster for your customers? So half of it is making sure you don't embark on the fad of the day, you know, that you don't get caught up in the, in the hype. So you need super smart people who are very grounded, who understand the business and can build and develop and deploy the products we need. But culture is really difficult. And, you know, many of my fellow CEOs will face exactly the same problems I have, which is if you don't have a digitally literate top management team or your board aren't digitally literate because you're not a tech company, 
and you're trying to explain these things and they just don't get it. So they are very, very difficult transformations to lead. Getting the business side of the house to talk to the IT side of the house and vice versa and connecting the dots so that it doesn't feel like it's an IT project or frankly, it's a stealth business project. How have you done that? How did you bring your top team, your board along this journey to really think differently about the use of technology to empower what you do at the core? So what you need is a blueprint for the deployment of this. So first, you need a very capable digital team, which we have. So they can actually build and deploy the products that the people at the cliff face want. I'll just give you two examples. I said, right, we'll have digital Fridays. So every Friday, the team will think about how they can deploy digital products to their processes, their products, their equipment, and their people using the Unipod way to eliminate waste, which is sort of thinking in three dimensions. And of course, at first, people struggle with it. You're not going to get great breakthroughs. But as the digital quotient of the business rises, as you get people becoming more curious, more interested, the ideas start to flow. We also found that recruiting people was taking too long. Mm. So the digital team built a process, a suite of systems, a work management system, which means that we can recruit people in a day. Those things started to make the business say, digital's making my life better. How did you the level of digital skills across the organization? Again, I mean, I said, right, what we have to do is raise the digital quotient of the whole company. And our chief digital officer said to me, he said, well, the first thing is I'm going to train the board to code. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, what are you talking about? So I hired you. You know, that's your job. And he said, you need to know what's easy and what's hard. You need to know enough to know what to ask for. And so he created a whole kind of architecture for people being able to go on coding courses and training them and so on. And of course, what you find out is that some people have a great aptitude for it and just, you know, become stars and other people go, oh, this is not for me, which is fine. As long as you know enough to know what's possible and know what to ask for. I want to pick up on sustainability because I know it's a very important part of what you do. What are one or two or three tips that you've got or things that you can share with us around how you're embedding sustainability, just as you've done in terms of innovation, by the way, and just as you've done in terms of digital? So the first thing is, you know, you have to really mean it. So we started on this journey more than 30 years ago when business in the community started business in the environment. We've got a chief sustainability officer, and we have the credentials to prove we take it seriously. I mean, we've made a commitment to be carbon neutral by 2030. We're going to try incredibly hard to be net zero by 2040. We know how to do it by 2030. We have the science-based targets, the metrics, the dashboards, the culture, the commitment, all of that to get there by to carbon neutral by 2030. We can evidence it. We've got 100% commitment from the board, full commitment from the executive team. But the most important thing is commitment from the people at every level in the business. They believe it's important for their future and their family's future. I mean, the bottom line is the consequence of doing the right things. Given all of your experience across multiple different organizations, sectors, industries, and global, and given where we are in 2023, a lot of people are talking about recession and there's still a bit of doom and gloom out there. You know, what are you most excited about over the next sort of, I don't know, two or three years? I love business. 
and I love learning about how to make a business better and how to be a better leader of a business that needs to continuously reinvent itself to participate in the future. Now, that's the big challenge. How do we reinvent ourselves to participate in the future? How can we define what the future is when it's harder than it's ever been, when it's less clear than it's ever been? It's about continuously learning about these new technologies. And the really, really exciting thing about technology is that all of the technologies are coming down fast in terms yeah. of cost and yes. increasing performance. You know, so many things are now possible that were just unimaginable before. And so finding the new products, the new unicorns, and we've got a few in our company, and then thinking about how to scale them globally quickly without betting the company. You know, we don't want to do anything that's going to put the company at risk. If we don't take some risks and invent some new things that are going to grow fast, we are putting the company at risk. So that's the thing that I think really continues to inspire and excite me. And I get phenomenal ideas by meeting other people. You know, the, the, the time I spent with you and your colleagues, you always come away with a great idea or a, you know, a great relationship you can build on. That's what I love doing. And I've been very fortunate in my career that I've been able to do that. John, that's so exciting. Thank you, by the way, for your friendship, counsel, advice and partnership as well. Thank you so much for your time. I thank you, Tanisha. And thank you very much for the relationship with you and your colleagues. We really value it and enjoy it. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights and Tanuja Randery. For more on these topics, follow Tanuja on LinkedIn and visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights. While there, be sure to learn more about AWS Exec Leaders, an invite-only global community for business and technology leaders.